1: This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. If I told you about her, the princess without voice, what would I say? Guillermo del Toro's Oscar-winning film, The Shape of Water, is part romance, part science fiction, and part fairy tale. The story of a lonely female janitor working nights at a military research lab who falls in love with a supernatural aquatic creature held captive in a glass water tank. But the son of Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Paul Zindel claims that the film brazenly copied his father's 1969 play, Let Me Hear You Whisper. A federal judge dismissed the copyright complaint, but the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals revived the case, saying the judge had dismissed it prematurely. Interestingly, it was former Ninth Circuit Judge Alex Kaczynski who won the dismissal in his first case at his former court since retiring after sexual misconduct allegations. Joining me is intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Katnuchin Rosenman. So, Terry, what did Zindel's son say the similarities were between the play and the film? Well,
2: both works revolve around a woman who works at an un- Defined government or private laboratory that does research into aqua marine life. She works the night shift, and in both works, she becomes involved in a relationship with one of the subjects being studied at the lab. And in both works, attempts then to quote unquote rescue the subject under study. From this laboratory by taking it away. Those are the similarities. And on their face, they do seem to bear some likeness. However, there are many very specific details that differ fairly dramatically between the two works.
1: So it's not enough to have a basic plot that seems almost exactly the same?
2: No, because that would really cut off from public use very wide numbers of types of plots. One of my favorite types of plots is commonly referred to as the 10 Indians plot, and it's a, a murder mystery plot in which the question is not who is the murderer, but who's going to be the last victim? And the name is derived from an Agatha Christie work. And you see this plot being used over and over again really creatively in a recent movie involving sharks called Into the Blue. So you really just cannot say that similarity of plot in and of itself justifies copyright protection without taking away just enormous amounts of creative material that could be used for different types of works. Explain the reason
1: the court gave for dismissing it. So in this sort of copyright lawsuit
2: where there is not literal copying, by that I mean taking a book and putting it on the Xerox machine and copying it page by page or putting it on a digital scanner and copying it page by page and then posting to the Internet where you don't have that literal Copying, but instead you have what's known as substantial similarity copying. The courts have uniformly required that a copyright owner should have to prove up two things to establish copyright infringement, and these go by the name the extrinsic test and the intrinsic test. The extrinsic test is essentially a requirement that the copyright owner prove that certain protectable elements of the two works are sufficiently similar that the case should be allowed to go to a jury. The jury then decides on the intrinsic test, and they look at the total concept and feel of the work and decide whether or not there's substantial similarity in that regard And if they agree that there is, then you do have a case for copyright infringement. So it's really a two-step process in these substantial similarity cases. And here, the district court judge, who is entitled to make the determination with respect to the first part of the determination, i.e. the extrinsic test, he did not feel that there was substantial similarity amongst the protected elements, that is, elements of the play and elements of the movie that are actually copyrightable, and therefore he would not allow it to go to a jury in the first place.
1: So how did Judge Kaczynski convince the Ninth Circuit to reverse that? Well, I think
2: Judge Kaczynski did two interesting things that ultimately won a reversal for the plaintiff. And the first thing, and the part of this that I find very interesting, is that they made it clear to the appellate court that this was not some wackadoo who happened to have typed up a manuscript or a song or a play that they had in their attic for 20 years. And it was, in other words, an attempt to sort of ride the coattails of some established work. And here you had a very established playwright, Paul Zindel, who actually won the Pulitzer Prize for playwriting. This particular play of his has been widely performed It is actually in its 10th print edition. It is in scholastic textbooks used at the high school level to teach dramatic literature. And so far from being sort of wackadoo, this was a very serious author with a very important play. And that largely went unaccounted for at the district court level, but was emphasized in the Court of Appeals. So that's the first thing I think that Judge Kaczynski did that sort of shifted the ground for the decision here. The second thing that was done was managed to drill down into specific elements of the play and the movie that did seem somewhat suspiciously similar. And I thought, again, that was an element that had gone unaccounted for at the district court. And I think the combination of those two things presenting to the Ninth Circuit, that this was not somebody trying to get a free ride on the coattails of somebody else's creative work, that you have here a very serious and important American author with a very serious and important play and with incredible similarities at a detailed level, that those two elements caused the Ninth Circuit to say, hey... Let's pause here, and maybe the district court was too quick in coming to its conclusion. Let's send it back and ask the district court to take another look at this.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a 1,000 global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor q Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. What will
1: the district court do when it gets the case back?
2: It's clear to me that the district court is going to have to allow the discovery stage of a case to go forward. And by the discovery stage, I mean, point at which each side gets to take depositions of each other, produce documents, And most importantly, I found this fascinating, the appellate court specifically said that the district court should look at expert testimony in deciding whether these were substantially similar. So each side will have to hire and retain an expert who will look at the case and present their views on whether these works are substantially similar. And I think that's going to be a very big part of this case back at the district court level.
1: Terry, could the district court have been sort of influenced by the fact that you had this very famous, now Academy Award winning director, Del Toro, who said, I've never read or seen the play. I've never heard of it. And he has such a body of work.
2: I don't think so in this case. In this case, I think the district court actually attempted to divorce itself from the peripheral matters as to who was who on either side and focused instead on a handful of elements that were different in the plot. So in the play, it is absolutely clear that the subject of study by this research laboratory is a dolphin, perhaps a very intelligent dolphin, but a dolphin nonetheless. Whereas in The Shape of Water, it is also clear that this is not an animal but rather some form of unknown humanoid that dwells in the water. And that seemed to be very significant. That difference seemed to be very significant to the trial judge. There were some other significant parts of it that are different between the two works that the trial judge really got into. But in doing so, it seems the trial judge missed what is the core focus at such an early stage, which is not what are the differences. But what are the similarities? And I think the Ninth Circuit was gently reminding trial judges that their focus has to be on what are the similarities and are they sufficient to move to the next stage, i.e. the discovery phase, and that they should not be overly focused on what are the differences between the two works.
1: So it's too early to say whether or not the playwright's estate will be able to make out a case against Searchlight Pictures.
2: Absolutely too early. I mean, the the Ninth Circuit says in its short decision that reasonable minds could differ on the issue of substantial similarity at this point. And I think that's true in reading both the district court's decision and the appellate court's decision. I was struck by what a close call this was. And in such an early stage of a copyright lawsuit, Close calls typically go to the plaintiff, and then you let the case flesh itself out before you actually make a determination. And so I think that's what struck the Ninth Circuit here. Now, keep in mind, they specifically decided that this was a non-precedential decision, that it would not be published in their federal reporter. It will simply appear as what's known as a per curiam opinion that is not citable as precedent in future Ninth Circuit cases. And that tells a lawyer something right off the bat. The appellate court felt that they were not breaking any new ground here from a legal perspective. In fact, they were simply correcting what they viewed as an error by the district court.
1: Thanks, Terry. That's Terrence Ross, a partner at katten Euchin Rosenman. And that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to tune to the Bloomberg Law Show weeknights at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Bloomberg Radio. The
0: countdown has begun.